Welcome to Galaxy Brains. The weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. It's another app, and I've come to run the deck, double down and plumb the depths. Run the town, pop the sound till I'm out of breath. Climbing up the stairs till I'm out of steps. Cause we on top, let the bass kick like a bomb drop. Counting up the odd lots, bouncing when the pod drops. See me when I talk shop on Bitcoin infrastructure. Nick Hansen is our guest. He's the CEO of Luxor and Boom and Buster. If we're staying steady, lads, I've been here for years and I'm never going back. Eleven on the track, see me levitate with rap. We're in the upside down with the regulated tack, but we play hard. Go on, target in our sights. Come out the dark, flow strong, and eat up the light. Yo, it's too important for us to not fight the good fight. Do not go quietly into that good night. Always, I'm your host, Alex Thorne, head of firmware research at Galaxy Digital. Thank you for listening to Galaxy Brains. We have a great show for you today. As I said, CEO of Luxor, Nick Hansen, is our guest. Luxor is a Bitcoin infrastructure company with a mining pool and data, and they do work on ordinals now. It's a great conversation. And of course, we'll also check in with our good friend, Bimnet of BB from Galaxy Trading to talk markets and macro. But before we get into all of that, I need to remind you to please refer to the link to the disclaimer on the podcast notes and note that none of the information in this podcast constitutes investment advice or an offer recommendation or solicitation by Galaxy Digital or any of its affiliates to buy or sell any securities. Ooh, that might be the fastest one ever, Finn. This beat is, I'm feeling it. I think we're going to have a good podcast, so let's get right into it. Let's go now to our friend Bimnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, my friend, great to see you. Thanks for having me. How you doing? <laughs> I'm good. I'm in Texas. Uh, I'm in Austin, Texas. Uh, you are not in the office either. So this is one of our rare remote meetings. Um, but it's good to see you. I like those glasses. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm a little uh, under the weather right now. I'm sure you guys can hear. So, uh, but we never miss uh, a quick update with BIMNET. And just for our listeners, some of the rest of this episode was previously recorded. That's why you'll see me in the studio with our guest, Nick Hansen, in a after this segment, but let, Bim, let's get into it. It's, um, you know, we're recording, it's Wednesday, April 26th. Um, couple things to bring up. The, the one that struck me the most was waking up this morning and seeing Bitcoin basically regaining 30 K. Um, you know, it's trading slightly below 29, eight, no block clock behind me to show it right now, but it's a significant move up from where we were in the low 27s. Um, what's going on in markets today? Um, yeah, a, a lot of market volatility has recently been driven by uh, concerns surrounding uh, a regional bank, uh, one in particular, First Republic. Uh, they had reported quarterly earnings uh, earlier this week, and it showed that they had lost about $100 billion in, in deposits. Um, at their peak, I believe, you know, there were a uh, $200 billion deposit institution and a, you know, I think roughly a $40 billion market cap institution. Um, and now, you know, since the earnings, uh, you know, we, we, you know, we've seen their, their stock pretty much collapse to um, roughly a, a $1 billion market cap. Um, and that's all around, you know, the idea that there, there is really no uh, bailout coming or headlines about whether or not, you know, there is a bailout coming or, 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 or there isn't. Um, there was a, a, a headline out earlier this morning saying that the, the government doesn't want to intervene in this situation. Um, and so it's basically going to be up to the, the market to kind of figure out, you know, what they're going to do with this institution. Um, and as a reminder to folks, you know, this is an institution that uh, basically has made a ton of long, has a lot, a lot of long duration assets on, on its balance sheet and a lot of short dated liabilities. Um, and so, you know, the, just a fundamental, you know, balance sheet mismanagement um, situation. That yeah, this is this is one of those this is one of those banks um, that was teetering ever since Silicon Valley Bank. Right. I mean, it's sort of been they had the injection from the GSIBs. They the big banks just what agreed. I'm sure there was some cajoling, but they agreed to deposit 30 billion dollars there to shore up the balance sheet. But it's it seems like it's been sort of a dead man walking at this point. Um, exactly. And so now the the market is trying to look ahead as to, you know, what a potential solution looks like for, for this bank and what are the kind of implications, you know, more broadly uh, for, for the rest of the regional banks. And, you know, kind of the, the, the main thing, you know, that it, that sticks out in my head is, you know, there's a guarantee, there's an implicit guarantee right now for the main GSIB banks. Right. Like they are definitely too big to fail. Um, and if you go back to, you know, what Secretary Yellen and other folks were saying um, around, right around the time of Silicon Valley and Signature, um, depositors are, are, are generally safe. And so 
the question is like, you know, how should somebody, you know, with large pools of money, you know, be thinking about, you know, where, where to park their assets? Are regional banks safe? Are, you know, is there a guarantee above, you know, the 250K number that the FDIC has provided, um, et cetera? And so, you know, more and more, um, the conclusion that, that we've come to here is that, you know, you're, you're kind of setting up uh, a, a situation where we're essentially all depositors are, are, are guaranteed and you're going to essentially go move to a marketplace for deposits that's incredibly competitive and you're, you're going to have a situation where credit is going to meaningfully tighten because one you know just think about like first republic bank they are going to have to offload a hundred billion dollars worth of long duration assets into the marketplace and so some some bank or some institution has to to buy you know th th those assets and so uh like you know when when you have assets that are going to maybe trade at a discount etc like what's your real incentive to go extend credit when there's all these like distressed sales of banks and bank assets etc and you know you're just going to be losing reserves over time as you know tga balances pick up um, as QT, you know, sort of, you know, moves, moves forward, you know, 100 billion per month, etc. You're going to be losing deposits over time as well. So there, there's really a, a very dynamic set of circumstances that um, are at play here with, with the banking system. And the market yesterday got very worried about sort of a left tail scenario where you have, you know, banking stresses combined with, you know, souring economic data combined with a Fed that is most likely going to hike in uh, on May 3rd, right? And, and basically a, a week from now. And so, you know, what you had happen was a huge rally in, in front end duration. Um, and you actually saw, you know, May meeting, you know, pricing move down a lot, but you had, you know, certain parts of the US front end curve moving by 30 basis points. You had gold breaking through 2K um, as folks, you know, sort of, sort of got concerned. And so, um, you know, there's a flight to, to, to quality. Um, and that kind of helped Bitcoin a little bit because it was able to recapture um, the story that had, you know, driven so much of the performance this year, which is, you know, a failing banking system, right? The move from 20K to 28K in Bitcoin was largely off the back of, you know, Silicon Valley Bank's failure. Um, and the, the sort of, you know, apparentness of, of, of the need for Bitcoin in moments like those. And so, um, you had a little bit of that uh, narrative come back into the market when you were in a technically over when you were in technically oversold conditions. I would say there was a large uh, Binance TWAP seller, you know, last week that had kind of artificially, you know, d depressed prices. You were at support around 27k in, in Bitcoin, um, and you know the move higher happened in a low liquidity window, which is you know sort of U.S. afternoon session, um, and so you had liquidations, a little bit of a short. Um, you know, gamma squeeze, you had um, actual buyers come in because of, you know, a change in, in the narrative. And all of a sudden, Bitcoin, Bitcoin goes from 27,300 to 30,000 in the span of, of, of 12 hours. Um, and so it's it a pretty dramatic move. Um, I, I didn't ex anticipate a move of, of, of this magnitude. I did think that, you know, another, you know, bank potentially failing or rumors around another potential failure was going to help Bitcoin. Um, but the magnitude of this move has, has definitely caught me a, a little bit um, uh, off guard. It, it's just it's just so quick. <laughs> yeah, I was taken aback a little bit, too, when uh, I like I said, I woke up this morning, too, and it really had started to pump all the way to 30K. Um, but look, the, I guess the corn and, and is going to do what it's going to do. The only other thing I'd mention is, you know, Pretty impressive to see Bitcoin still leading this rally, which is what it did, particularly post Shanghai. It kind of felt like March was the banking narrative, but and then April came Shanghai for ETH, and you'd think ETH would then be in the driver's seat. But I guess maybe you're like you're saying the banking narrative here is playing a factor still. People are still Argentina Central Bank appeared to have plundered retail bank accounts in order to get dollars. I feel like that was almost a little bit of a Cyprus moment. Uh, a bail-in moment that also felt like a Bitcoin kind of buoyant narrative, but um, things are looking pretty strong. No, absolutely. I mean, the, the stories and the cases for, for Bitcoin are all around us. And I think, you know, folks in the West, you know, it, it's become more apparent recently because you had, you know, historically uh, like stable institutions failing. So it became, you know, more apparent, but for somebody in EM, like Bitcoin's a story that plays every day, right? Inflation is hyperinflation is an issue that is is present every day. 
capital controls and and people's dollar uh, bank accounts, you know, not not having access to them or awful exchange rates. That's a story that plays every day in EM. And so I think, you know, getting the, the focus of the U.S. is, is super important, um, you know, to, to driving it, but it's not necessary. And a lot of what you saw earlier this year was a, a Bitcoin rally that was driven by largely non-U.S. folks. If you just looked at the, you know, the, the, the sort of performance of Bitcoin in, in, in certain regions. Um, and so, you know, I, I try to take a step back and, and try to think critically about, you know, kind of what, what are the global forces, you know, shaping Bitcoin. And there are just so many each and every day. Um, so that's why, you know, I'm still constructive on it. it it's technically speaking, it, it is respecting trends like unbelievably well like bitcoin had one 10 percent drawdown and it got bought and now you're back at at, at 30k and it's been setting higher highs and, and higher lows it's an asset that is clearly trending the dollar um you know de-dollarization story is not going away anytime soon i mean there are headlines literally every day about BRICS and new nations try to join russia uh, China trade developments, you know, gold, you know, g- gaining more prominence. There are these constructive developments literally every day. And so, you know, I think that's why you're seeing this asset, you know, trend really well. And the last thing I'll leave you guys with, um, I think um, this the story of adoption really in terms of when it gets kicks into the next year is, is once you get like major institutional um, adoption again, or at least once you start to see more money flowing in. And today, uh, the CME CEO was uh, on, um, you know, CNBC talking about, you know, Bitcoin CME volumes and, and ETH volumes, etc. And the one thing he noted and wanted to stress about, you know, his crypto products was that the large versions of his crypto products are the ones that are doing the best in terms of the ones that are picking up the most traction, right? And so he's saying there's a bifurcation between, you know, retail and institutional, and he's seeing institutional grow more and more. And when he went out to London recently, he said, you know, the amount of activity and the buzz around it was was super compelling. And he sees it as a product he's going to perpetually, you know, essentially be offering. And so I think there's just all sorts of, you know, constructive, you know, stories at play. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's an asset that's trending higher. Bibnet Abibi from Galaxy Trading. As always, my friend, thank you so much. Let's go now to our guest, Nick Hansen, CEO, founder of Luxor Technology Corporation. Luxor, Nick, great to have you here. Yeah, awesome to be here. First time checking out the new office. Very, very nice. The recording studio yeah. is incredibly high quality. So uh, <laughs> this is probably going to be the best my voice has ever sound on a podcast. So. Yeah, it will. We have great uh, production. Shout out to Phineas and Badir for this help. Um, really happy to have you, Nick. Um, so Lux, I'll, I guess I'll say it, but then you correct me. Luxor, among the many things you do, you run a Bitcoin mining pool. Yeah, so if you Google Luxor, the thing that you'll find is Luxor Mining Pool. Like That's the thing we're known for, specifically Bitcoin mining. Uh, we're the second largest North American pool, first North American pool, um, you know, second to Foundry, of course. And uh, But we do a lot of other things. You know, we, we have financial products for miners, so we produce something called the Luxor Hash Price NDF, which is a um, cash-settled uh, NDF, uh, and then we have other derivatives products as well, uh, mostly for miners to like hedge or for other folks to get leverage, financing products, that sort of thing. Um, we also produce a firmware, which is the software that goes on a device. Um, you can almost think of that as like when we used to jailbreak our iPhone, like the iPhone is a phenomenal platform, but there's still a few features that are uh, locked. Uh, we build a firmware that allows you to do that on the mining machine. Um, and then we also do a bunch of r- a machine brokerage through a platform we call Luxor RFQ. So that the ability to go post your buys and sells. Um, it's kind of like eBay for mining machines, um, but the reason you can't use eBay or Amazon or anything like that. Is like it's just such a bespoke process. It requires a ton of logistics, um, a lot of handholding, that sort of thing. Um, so those are the things that we're known for. And then, of course, most recently we acquired Ordinal Hub. Um, you know, with the craze and Ordinals, uh, I never got. And I didn't. I was um, self-proclaimed. I, I missed the NFT boat the very first time around. Uh, and you know, mostly because it was on chains that I wasn't really interested in. I'm a Bitcoin maxi at heart. Um, Maybe not the toxic maxi culture that <laughs> exists today, but uh, I'm definitely a financial Bitcoin maximalist and uh, really believe that pretty much anything that needs to be done uh, of value should be done on Bitcoin. Uh, and now that we have that on Bitcoin with ordinals and inscriptions, um, I was like, we went all in on that and decided we went out and bought Ordinal Hub, which came with Jameson Nunny, uh, you know, as the head of ordinals for Luxor. And now we're, you know, pushing that envelope in many different facets. 
So those are the big things that we've got going on. So plenty of topics we can talk about. Let's we'll, let's go right to ordinals for for now, and then we'll get okay. into some Bitcoin mining and Bitcoin related stuff. But so um, one thing that I know you're well known for in ordinal world and in Bitcoin. Uh, you guys were the ones that helped uh, those folks rip the four mega, as they say, uh, yep. the four megabyte block. Luxor mined or mining pool, I don't know, what do we say, yep. uh, delivered um, the largest block in Bitcoin history. Yeah, what, that what, is what true. What was that about? And it was yeah. the picture of Taproot Wizards, like, come join us, yep. magic internet money. Yep, it was the, uh, so the reason, so the reason ordinals and mining really uh, are very cohesive is because ordinals drive fee volume. Fee volume drives minor profits. So all of the customers that use Luxor are benefiting from the work that is being done to promote more ordinals and inscriptions because you know, mempool is fuller. Uh, there's more transaction fee volume, which increases revenues. Uh, when the when Udi and Eric and the rest of the uh, the Taproot Wizards Council <laughs> approached us to you know rip a four megger <laughs> that's what they uh, say yeah rip a four megger uh <laughs> the reason that that the reason you need a mining pool for that is because the the bitcoin core node if anybody you know probably your guests are running a or yeah. your, your listeners are running a uh, a bitcoin node at home uh if somebody tries to relay a transaction that's more than 400 kilobytes your node will reject it it's called the uh it's called the mempool policy there's a bunch of different policies like um you know, th- there's a certain fee threshold. Uh, they won't accept transactions with zero fee and all sorts of different things. So we decided to build a Bitcoin Core node that got rid of all those um, policies. Uh, one of the, you know, of course, the Taproot Wizard was infamously uh, a zero fee transaction as well. Um, but more importantly, we removed the 400 kilobyte limit and allowed it to be up to the four mega uh, size. So we could then inject it into the mempool that was mining all of our... Um, you know, that was mining our Your transactions, own mempool, our own mempool, Your pool's mempool. Yeah. yeah, and and then of course it wouldn't broadcast to anyone else because uh, they wouldn't accept such a large transaction. So it was sitting in our mempool, uh, our miners were receiving those transactions um, in in the, via the 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 job, you know, the Bitcoin jobs that they were working on, uh, and then ultimately somebody submitted the the winning solution, uh, and then it got broadcast, and that was kind of that was really the. Uh, that was one of the big inflection points in the initial run of, of ordinals was uh, this idea of like a four megger. And then we have had a backlog of folks trying to get their own four megger. Really? Done, which has been really interesting because it does, I don't want to say, it's not MEV on Bitcoin the same way that there's MEV on ETH or other chains because it's not like, you know, there's not like on-chain mechanics like that. But it is some extra value that we're able to extract via um you know, just being well connected and and going out and putting in legwork for yeah, it uh, it is kind of, of MEV in a way, um, which is highly um, on ETH, highly dependent on transaction ordering, right? Right. Because um, transactions on Ethereum execute chronologically in the EVM, right. so where your transaction is inside a block is very important, and that can that's how sandwich attacks and front running and back running can be done. Right. On Bitcoin, um, transactions execute atomically. So there is no if it's in a block, it just they all happen at once. There's no there's right. no like order, but um, you are using your ability to do transaction selection basically True. as the pool yep. um, to provide a, additional services. Um, yeah, exactly. Now there... that is funny though. The four megabyte block um, and really like what a three point nine six megabyte picture or whatever it was, right? right? Um, that that caught a lot of attention. I think that really drew a lot of eyes to ordinals in general. It, it was, was. Like a, it was like a flag planning saying like we can do. And then of course the picture itself is a Taproot Wizards picture. It is. A, yeah, it was a picture of like the Taproot Wizard, and so of course um, that's was that's really like the flagship for their project. And that seems to be what other projects are interested in. They want to use that as like the billboard, say you know their on-chain billboard for uh, their project, and that seems to be what we're de- we're seeing here. Are you seeing other uh, or other mining pools starting to get interested in these types of ordinal-focused services? Nothing as specific as what we're doing right now. Um, you know, I'm sure that they're talking about it because there's um, you know, there's certainly alpha to be had there, and I, I can't imagine or I can't. Uh, Imagine that we're going to be the only ones seeing that there's this opportunity to go out and you know generate extra reward for our miners via the, you know these these but we we call them bespoke blocks but uh, we can call it ripping four megas but <laughs> we we call it bespoke blocks but uh, it does seem like that is you know something that most other pools will probably start getting into just because there is alpha to be had there. and not even just the four megas but just like selling out of band. Uh, block space yeah, to, to ordinal creators. Yeah, I mean another one that was really famous was the um, the 
sequential mint that we did for D gods. So if uh, if anybody here has done any inscribing, you know that you're at the you're, you're basically at the mercy of the mempool. You don't know what order your inscriptions are going to go in, how many blocks it's going to take, etc. You it's basically just like spray and pray. Yeah. Um, what we did for D gods was we handcrafted a block that had all of their uh, all of their inscriptions in a particular order which they wanted which they wanted yeah. yeah so it's super aesthetic like the idea was in the um like when you would go to the explorer you would just see all of their inscriptions in order exactly correct uh the way that they asked for them to be put There's in no other random ones no mixed other, in yeah. i see and so if you go explore, if you go take a look at the Explorer uh, around the time that the, the D-Gods were being minted, you'll see that they're all there, 535 of them. In a row. In a row. Yeah, wow. it's around. it was around 770,000-ish was when they got theirs in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that was really cool. That was another really kind of bespoke thing that we've done. We've had... There's been a ton of different requests for different things. I don't want to dish people's alpha totally. yet, but there's like... The, the amount of creativity that people have, it's incredible. It's the really interesting because... Um, you know, if you think about it, <laughs> it could be a lot bigger than just this, but with the block explorers, right, the ordinals.com or whatever, the ORD, um, you you really have like a billboard now, a giant graffiti wall. Um, I don't want to call yeah. it, I, I'm not necessarily insinuating that it is graffiti, but um, you have a giant space for, for example, for advertising. I've scrolled around there um, and just seen advertisements. Yeah. Literally, people saying like, come trade Bitcoin on this website right. or whatever. Um, and so then that adds such an interesting, um, I mean, the ordering you're talking about, these bespoke mints, like. Now, yeah. you want to talk about ordering. Yeah, tell me. There is a, I mean, so Kate, zooming out just a little bit, this idea of ordinals and inscriptions, uh, yeah. we, we, uh, Casey has famously called it a shared hallucination because we're all just kind of viewing data that's on the blockchain. Uh, we just happen to know how to interpret We've that data. We've agreed on a way to We've interpret it. We've agreed on a way to interpret it. Uh, if, you know, if say, you know, the Ord project was wiped out today and nobody was able to like decode how to, you know, get those uh, those inscriptions and ordinals out of the, you know, out of the chain, those would all just like go away and they would just be like big transactions and nobody yeah. really know how they work. Um, there is a protocol being implemented called BRC20, yeah. which is, you know, trying to be like the ERC20 of ETH on Bitcoin using ordinals. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a good idea, but what I'm saying <laughs> is that now it, we, you do have ordering, which is important now because it is based on when those were inscribed. Yeah. Uh, if you were, you know, say I'm giving, I don't even know what BRC20 tokens are out there right now. I imagine Pepe is one. So we'll just say Pepe. We got a Pepe behind me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We got a Pepe behind me. Um, yeah. You know, I give you 20 bazillion Pepe's um, <laughs> and you want to sell them. You, We need them. That ordering needs to occur correctly within a block. So now there is ordering within transactions within a Bitcoin block. Right. Which opens up now that opens up real MEV if yeah. there, if if this was if one, this catches on. this has been one of the the main reasons why the Bitcoin community historically and the Bitcoin development community has opposed adding pure tokens to right. Bitcoin is because um, it can pervert mining incentives it can it create opportunities does. for MEV yeah and 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 I mean that's not it's, we're well aware that that's possible that's what's happened on basically every other chain Right, and um, I guess the question is like, a, do we first of all is BR? Do you know if it's BRC twenty like any good from a technical? It's just ordinals, right? It's um, yeah, like, it's just ordinals. Uh, the, the so you're putting the, some token data instead of a picture. Yeah, exactly. The protocol is super bloated because it's it's like JSON and text based. It doesn't need to be JSON or text based. But uh, and, and and I don't know the soundness of the protocol or anything. I'm just saying that there is something yeah. out there that yeah. exists. Ordering will happen. There is a hallucination of hallucinations occurring. <laughs> uh, it's hallucination inception <laughs> yeah. and. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But but there's and then there's there's other stuff that's occurring on there, too. So uh, it, it's been incredibly interesting to yeah, see. I saw people are doing like an ENS type like domain yep. thing. Sat mm -hmm. dot, was it dot sats or there's something? Dot sat dot unisat dot. There's a bunch BTC. of them. Yeah. Um, there's just regular names like because, you know, they were saying we don't need to have the dot BTC. So that's when you, if you go see a bunch of inscriptions that are all just text, uh, it's usually something related to something that. Something like that. Um, do you think so? You, you said this in the beginning uh, about inscriptions and ordinals, but like, how would you view how this is impacting and will impact Bitcoin culture and development in general? Yeah. So there was some initial. I mean, certain certainly in the very beginning, back when we did the big wizard, it was around six hundred and or so um, inscription number six hundred. Just for reference, it's what today is the 
13th and we're about 1.1 million uh inscriptions and this is what maybe we'll we'll say three months months. yeah two two, three months um so we have had explosive growth um but in the very beginning there was a very vocal uh group that was very against inscriptions the initial um critique was that this would cause chain bloat unnecessary chain bloat uh and you know basically they're saying that you know the, you put your jpegs on other chains you don't need to put jpegs into block you know into bitcoin blocks at all um that is you know that's misuse of the bitcoin block space and you know the very first time i ever met you in person was it was like 2 a.m in miami <laughs> and it was around the time that uh, marathon digital was you know filtering transactions because of you know they, they were worried about like ofac sanctions right yep. they were doing what was called ofac uh filtering and at that time then and still today i've always been a proponent of if the protocol allows it it's a valid transaction whether i agree with what's in that transaction or not uh it's a total doesn't matter because in this case code is lost so it does seem like that critique has somewhat died down uh and overall now it's moving towards the the critique that most bitcoiners have against altcoins and and other chains is that you know this is basically just like the shitcoin du jour yeah so yeah uh, that would be, you know, and, and they're just they're, not desirable transactions, so we don't like them. Yeah. yeah. Well, but now they're they're moving on. The critique has moved on from like, okay, well, maybe this is like good for miners and all of that stuff, and so maybe the economics of this are, are you know, and, and the desirability of these transactions, you know, is kind of a moot point now. But really, what we're seeing now is probably, a, and there's already have been a lot of like ordinal scams, you know, a lot of the stuff that comes yeah. along with shitcoinery, the yep. stuff that we're, you know, the stuff that you see, you know, rug pulls and. Um, that can you know, happen just ghosting, now. Yeah, just ghosting protocol. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So all of that stuff can happen, and it probably already has happened in ordinal land. Yep. Um, so, but you know, the tent seems to be getting bigger, and it seems yeah. like there's a culture clash. There right? certainly because, is. Yeah. The the monetary maximalists who who want Bitcoin to primarily be um, non sovereign, decentralized, you know, bank, mm-hmm. central bank, right? A, a, a global sound money. Yeah. Sound money. Um, they, yes, they think this is misused the same way they didn't like Satoshi Dice, you know, eight years ago or whenever that was. Right. They didn't like Op Return because this was taking up important block space that should be reserved for whether it's payments or, or you know, digital gold type activities. Right. That's still a huge part of the Bitcoin culture. Right. Um, but now you have a giant and growing other part of this culture that is, um, you know, focused on art on, on even on tokens to your point um, art and culture and tokens and all of the stuff that has generally eschewed bitcoin right uh is now coming this way and the the point you know one of the thoughts that i've had and and you know i've been kind of saying this behind the scenes is like you know the the whole of bitcoin now is you know let's just say that 100 percent of the the bitcoin culture now uh could stay within bitcoin and still become a very small minority as new entrants come in. So, you know, say there's a hundred thousand Bitcoiners in the world or a million, whatever it happens to be, we add all of these other people that you have, we go up to 10 million, yeah. that million still exists, but they're now a very small minority. Possible. And uh, we're gonna have to rectify or rationalize that. Uh, yeah, and, and, and reckon with it. Um, reckon, I think, that's a much better word. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, I, I don't know where it goes. I, I think it's very interesting and exciting. Another idea I had was um, that we wrote about and when we wrote about inscriptions was that, you know, if I feel like really nobody knew this was possible. If you go back and read from the core devs, they did know that they had lifted the uh, tap script witness size limit. Right. They knew that. They um, did it on purpose, and I can talk about why. Well, why? Why did yeah, they do so that? Yeah, they, so they did it to compress the UTXO set. Basically, it incentivizes wallets to uh, use up UTXOs, which adds uh, compressionary pressure to the UTXO set. There's maybe... I don't know. The last time so I to checked, put more data in the witness, basically, yes, exactly. which is prunable, yep, and, yeah, exactly, and not part of the UTXO. Yep. Set. And yeah. so, and but, and then it's also cheaper to craft those transactions right. because they get the the, the, segwit the, the segwit discount. Yeah. So that's the reason it was introduced. But they were thinking like, I think they were thinking complex, like uh, what was it um, like Musig and like all the yep. all the stuff that Taproot and TapScript enables from like a, a complex, you know, transaction encumbrances, multi-sig stuff. They they no one. And I went back and looked, and of course, I was there. You were there mm-hmm. during the debate around Taproot, which, by the way, not only what was this not raised as a possibility, but we also activated Taproot with speedy trial. So it was even faster even than faster, theoretically yeah. it would otherwise be. And I'm pretty sure if the Bitcoin community of 2021 uh, was told that 
if we enable Taproot as written, um, you're going to get a giant explosion of a million NFTs minted on Bitcoin in three months. They would have rejected Taproot. Yeah. So that's one of the most interesting things to me. Now, I don't think a lot of people realized. I mean, Casey really saw the witness and what could be done with data in the witness and then came up with the ordinal theory part of it and mixed these two together. But I, it seems like nobody really realized this could happen. And so, it, right, I mean, it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, so he has been an ordinal theorist for a long time, long predates um, this inscriptions and all of that so stuff. You so you should have been able, if you followed Casey's work, to, to realize there might have been something here. Well, so let's uh, just for, for everybody in case, I don't know if this has been covered yet, but an ordinal is really, the, the ordinal theory states that you can uh, individually identify all uh, 2.1 quadrillion Satoshis that exist via a numbering scheme. Um, again, it basically just has to do with like the very first block and it has Satoshi number one and the very last block will have satoshi number 2.1 quadrillion uh and then all of them in between can have some uh number associated with them there can you can introduce like some rarity like the first the first satoshi in a block is considered uncommon uh the first satoshi of the block that starts at difficulty epoch is considered rare uh there's epic mythic right like the first sat of a the first having block or something yeah those are considered uh epics and then there's yeah there's a whole like numbering scheme and and to be honest we could make up our own things that we like Exactly. Well, we like the one because this was in the transaction that Michael Saylor bought Bitcoin with or something. Yep. Right? You could also, yeah, uh, you know, there's a there's a group out there going out and trying to find 2009 sats that to inscribe on. So basically finding sats that are from, you know, very, Older. very, very early yeah. in Bitcoin history. Uh, so that theory, though, has been around for a long time. Like the idea that you can individually number Satoshis and, the, and those Satoshis he calls ordinals. Um the, the key unlock was the idea that you can uh, inscribe extra data and attach an ordinal to it. And then now that inscription is tradable. Yeah. So I can give, I can move it around now. By um, moving around that specific By moving sat. that sat around, which yeah. is what makes it, which is really the key unlock. And that was the thing that, um, that kind of caused what is occurring now back in right. what would be, you know, end of February. Because I, you know, I think just putting the, even without the ordinals, putting data on the chain is cool. Like that's yeah. interesting to me. I, I thought it was interesting with op return i meant to do it but then i i screwed up and, and there was a lot going on but i in, intended to op return my first son's birth okay um but then you know we were in the hospital and i was like i'm on phone i was like i can't figure out how to do an op return transaction for my phone right now and also my wife's like i need <laughs> what are you doing on your you phone put your phone away please <laughs> put your phone away um it's so kind of important. I, I, i've liked that idea and of course satoshi i think it, it can be said inscribed Right in the Genesis, Genesis block, block, right? Yeah. So, and there's tons of other ones. There was, um, for what's his face, um, less, um, the developer, Lex Sassman. Yes, Le- uh, Sassman. Yeah, uh, they somebody inscribed a, a tribute to him when when he passed away. There's plenty yep. of stuff like that. Yep. Um, and it goes back to the first block in Bitcoin. I mean, Satoshi, obviously, you know, Chancellor on the brink of second bailout yep. banks. So I love that alone. And then yes, but you add the ordinals, and now you've got you've got an NFT essentially. Or, yeah. Or a token. You've got a token with data. Um, yep. And that is what we're seeing now. So you, you mentioned one thing I wanted to get to before we move too far away from the topic was yeah. uh, about how the culture is shifting. Yes. And I, I think that if if I had to, if I were a betting person right now, I think unless there's this huge influx of new blood into the ecosystem that we're like Bitcoin Core, I think is ossified. I don't think that a new fork will get uh, enough traction for a generation, most likely due and very specifically due to what's occurring right now. Partly from this. We, we yep. said this, too, in our report. We said it was bearish for future BIPs. Yes. Because, like, they this wasn't seen. I think now we said, look, you could have some, but they'll be much more narrow than Taproot yep. and Schnorr were, um, yep. which was a pretty gargantuan upgrade, right? Mm-hmm. Like, But maybe maybe you'll get some narrow ones that just do a little thing here and there. But like this, the, the outcome here being so unexpected to the majority mm-hmm. of the community, I think people are going to be very, very skeptical. Yeah. Um, yeah. Shout out Jeremy Rubin. I unfortunately think that his BIP has been pushed out even further now. Yeah. And, and I do like um, vaulted custody and other types of encumbrances like that and yep. covenants. Um, whether that's CTV or, or op vault, the, the, right? Is that James O'B's uh, proposal? Uh, um, somebody, there's some good ones that are interesting. I think they add a lot of uh, powerful features to Bitcoin encumbrancing, which is important for things like you want to build a certain type of layer two on Bitcoin. You would mm-hmm. need something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're they're they, you know people find them interesting. I think it's going to take a lot of work to get the community, uh, you know, on on, right. on board with that. Yeah, and that, but that, 
uh, that that community m might become the minority, and we'll we'll see as you know if this thing you know if in a year from now we have. 50 million inscriptions there's 50 million new people well maybe not exactly 50 but there's right. a lot that that right. that encompasses so tent, a very large grows. group yeah. yeah um okay we could keep talking about inscriptions and ordinals a lot i know i think we'll both be in miami for the for bitcoin and and uh and some yep. ordinal stuff we um, will so we'll there'll be more on this um yep but i do want to get into it a little bit on luxor and mining and bitcoin in general i mean so what are the you guys have great stuff. You have the um, I love the hash price. You have a great dashboard with information. Yeah. So you, a bunch of good data from Luxor too. Um, you know what's the most interesting thing about running a mining pool in your mind? Like what what is it like being a mining pool operator? I mean, your customers are miners, right? I mean, they yeah, call you, yeah. Our customers, you have customer are, service. Our customers are miners. We have customer service. <laughs> we have Telegram, Discord, email, a lot of things like that. Um, I mean, so the point you mentioned, so you you said the dashboards, like when when you're talking about that, that's actually a, a property we have called HashRateIndex.com, yes. uh, and we try to track all of the metrics related to mining. If you go there now, you can see that um, that transaction fees as a percent of block reward are certainly up, especially because mo mo most mostly a attributable to uh, inscriptions. Right, right. Um, something we haven't really talked about or anybody has really talked about yet is now that there are all of these inscriptions, all the marketplaces are coming and that's like going to drive a lot of transaction volume as well. Um, so in, aside from actually putting the data onto the chain, you know, if we're out trading and, 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 you know, doing all of this, you know, NFT activity that you see on other chains, right. that's also going to set another really strong floor for, for, um, uh, for yeah, mining for, for fees yeah and revenue and those types of transactions are actually going to be much more beneficial to miners than the actual inscriptions because they don't get the they won't be getting the discount right uh, and there's an incentive to pay up where with inscriptions you're like I don't really care if it, it just goes needs in. to get out eventually like yeah. even within a day but yes yeah. if I'm doing trading or yes. any kind of like financial activity yeah yeah if I'm selling you a 12 fold I want that confirmed like the next yeah I want to know that I got it right yeah. away so I, I'll pay a hundred bucks to you know to get that done where now people are like, I don't really I mean, that, and that's what we see on Ethereum, um, particularly around minting days right. too, but also in general. I mean, high value transactions people pay up for, right? Um, or what we call high time preference. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, but okay, as a pool though, I, yep. I agree. I, I, I like what is the okay? So explain to me how the um, you know the, you can uh, what do they call it? the pay the way you, you do payouts, right? There's two main ways that payouts occur, right? Yeah. So there's, but there's one very popular one. There's there's two. Yeah. The PPS pay per share. Thank you. Uh, basically, we can ascribe every time a miner submits a bit of data, they submit a share every you know, three to five seconds. Uh, we can ascribe some value to that share based on the current uh, economics, basically what what transaction fees are uh, and what the network difficulty is. You can say, I know you know this this block or this share has X percent uh, of a chance of solving the block. We can give you that much value for it. Um, it's it's a it's it's Mathematically equivalent to guessing lottery numbers, and you know that um, you know if I'm buying lottery tickets, I know how much one e you know has you know how much each likelihood the likelihood is, and then I can ascribe a value to each of those tickets. You know, um, famously, the the lotteries have been getting much larger, partially <laughs> probably due to inflation. Um, but the value of each of those tickets is actually greater than the value that you purchased it for. If maybe if you don't take out taxes and things like that, because um, you know the value of, of the reward is so high. But anyway, you can. Um, so that's pay per share. You're basically paying for a hash rate upfront, so regardless you, of whether you find blocks or got not. it. Yep. Then there's a less common but more historically um, utilized method called P PPLNS. Uh, also, some there's some places do prop, but PPLNS stands for pay per last end shares. And basically, what that means is that over the last you know say seven days worth of shares, uh, I grab up a bag of them, and if I if I submitted 10% of those shares and we hit a block, uh, you, I get 10%. You know, say you had the other 90, uh, you would get 90% minus, so, of course, the so pool. So it's sort fee. of like rather than paying up front based on the likelihood, it's like we just literally look and say, like, what money did we make? And then, yep. and then and you then get we'll a proportional yep, exactly. as a miner. Mm -hmm. yeah. And so then in that in that way, we, we say that miners are then bearing the luck risk. Basically, mining, mining is a probabilistic game where um, some days you mine a lot of blocks, some days you don't mine a lot of blocks. And... Um, in PPS, the the mining pool handles that. Basically, they shield the miners smoothed from that. Smoothed out. It's all and... smoothed out entirely. Yep. 
obviously that does come with counterparty risk. You have to like trust your pools, like managing their bankroll and all that stuff effectively. Um, but in the long term, you know, it should work out. The converse is, you know, true as well with PPLNS. So if you're, you know, PPLNS, you you don't find a block for a while. People are like, oh, is the pool broken? What's going on here? Like, you, you know, if if you know if Brains doesn't find a block for a couple days, um, you know, their their support chats are going wild with people thinking the pool's broken or something like that. It just <laughs> happens to be, you know, an unlucky streak. And then of course, when they hit five blocks in a day, um, nobody's like, oh, is the pool broken? We <laughs> find too many blocks, but. Um, but yeah, so the, 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 those are the two payment mechanisms. PPS is certainly the largest. Um, you know, I would say it's probably 90, uh, 90-ish percent of all hash rate. Um, you know, probably 10% of hash rate. Maybe maybe a little more is uh, is solo mining. You know, you've got Marathon kind of solo mining now and a couple of other pools that are doing their own mining. You'd have to, I mean, I guess if you're really big, you could... It, solo mine. it does start to make sense. Yeah, it does start to make sense, especially because of the the fee that you would be charged it starts to add up pretty quickly, uh, as well as there's a lot of data that you produce. And it would be nice to to really own all own of that it, data. Maybe and, not and, leak it to the pool or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, there are, you know, some of the big miners when they're mining at, at Foundry or, or even Luxor, they try to mask, you know, information about the miners. They don't want to say, you know, you know, S19 XP on particular right. rack, they try to code name, name them and things like that so that you don't, uh, the pool doesn't have any information about what's underneath there. But, um, so yeah, that's, you know, and then, you know, most, you know, they, they don't really try to mass IPs or anything like that, but they do certainly, you know, sometimes try to, um, you know, make it a little ambiguous what yeah. they're doing just because, you know, the more data you leak to the world, the more attack vectors you have. Yeah. And, it's a, like and it's, and it's a highly competitive industry, right? right? It's like almost purely competitive. Yep. Um, it's just work. It's proof of computation. Yep. And um, that's very competitive. So I get that. Um, what do you think about the future of Bitcoin mining pools? Or And, and yeah. we could fold in the Stratum V2 question, which that time in Miami we were arguing about. Um, yeah. You know, one, do you think we'll get Stratum V2? Is there something else that's coming? Is there something like from, from a technolo technological standpoint? In sort of the the mining market structure, like the, what's it going to look like in the future? Is it any different in your mind? So, um, so right now, I think that I think that pool, you know, obviously, so we're you know we're maybe a week less than a week away from Foundry announcing that they are turning on fees for the first time. Um, you know, their fee tiers are out there now, and there's a timeline, which is end of the month. So they they have been uh, there have been no fees at all, and that's contributed largely a big, a big contributing factor to their to, growth to their success yeah. yeah so that has been um and and you know they have you know they they were getting you know close to 35 40% of the network which started to cause people to have some uncertainty about you know yeah. is that bad um and know, it is bad by the way yeah um there was a previous time when a bitcoin mining pool got up to like 50 or 55% yeah, years ago and sex cex right yeah and, and um and um like the the miners pulled together and said we're gonna we're gonna move and diversify because yeah. we don't want it to be that centralized so what they did so that was that was ghash and uh ghash and and cex sex.io and they uh i think they split and then you know they still had more than 50 percent but yeah, yeah, yeah but at least it was technically separate technically, yeah yeah so, so they're, they're adding the fee schedule. So they're adding the fee, which um, you know, phones pretty much been ringing off the hook ever since then. I'm, I'm sure other pools are, are doing you know the same things happening there. Um, miners are very, very monetarily motivated. Meaning, if you have zero fee, like that's the only competitive advantage you need. You don't need to add features. Doesn't matter. Like miners, very, very few, almost no miner we've ever had is you know the few miners, the, the miners that we do have have joined because of the features that we have. But ultimately, at the end of the day, um, having zero percent fee is one of the biggest things that you can do for your miners. Um, but we just can't run a you know you know we don't have a genesis. We don't have um, right. So Foundry is GTC. a subsidiary of Digital right. Currency Group. So they had other. Yeah, you, you know other things they were doing in order to earn money, et cetera. Yeah, right. But exactly. you guys are a Bitcoin mining pool company, and, right? And other stuff now, but yeah, yeah. And so that's you know that that was your revenue. Yeah, exactly. And so you, you were kind of getting to the point of like, what do you think about running a mining pool? It's it's, it's a terrible business. It's a very <laughs> difficult business. You have to have effectively a hundred percent uptime. Uh, it's it's very hard to have a business where the expectations are so high uh, and the propensity to pay is so low. Yeah, and so much money is at stake, right? I True. mean, one block. 
is a lot of money. What, 200K maybe? Yeah. Uh, you know, seven-ish, let's say seven-ish Bitcoin, six and a half, seven Bitcoin today. Yeah. Um, you know, that's what, between 180 to $210,000. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you mess that up, that's becomes very expensive very quickly. Actually, F2 Pool has uh, recently rejected a few blocks. I saw this. They had, or they had submitted, I guess, invalid blocks. Two of them, yeah. Two of them. Yeah, two of them. That's and a so, huge error. Yeah. So what they so what happened was they have uh, they construct. I'm, I'm most certainly they're not constructing blocks with Bitcoin Core, um, which we we are most most pools do, but they're constructing their own blocks. Uh, and they there's a SIGOP limit, and I think it's eighty thousand SIGOPs that you can include in a block. Uh, there was a, another protocol, that, uh, somewhat similar to Ordinals, called Stamps that was doing, uh, which required a lot of SIGOPs. Uh, and I think they just didn't have that check in their code um, because who the hell is going to put eighty thousand SIGOPs in a in a block? Some new protocol that they yeah. weren't fully aware of yeah yeah and so they ended up rejecting two uh they submitted two invalid See, blocks. i mean that's losing almost half a million dollars close yeah yeah, yeah. that's crazy yeah um so stratum let's talk about stratum okay. a little bit um so stratum is the protocol the technology protocol messaging yeah. protocol that miners use to communicate with pools right primarily. and i would say probably 98 percent of hash rate uses 99 percent of hash rate uses stratum is stratum we call it stratum v1 yeah uh it's a json based it's a text based protocol which is not optimal <laughs> right um, it's old old i mean it was yeah it, being old is fine i know TCP but it was old, designed yeah. for a wholly different like mining era yeah exactly um, so at this level of hash rate and scale if we started from scratch we would probably design it differently yeah we would use what we call a binary protocol like you can compress this protocol like like something like 80 percent, and that would make it more efficient yeah it would just make it more efficient you wouldn't have like your your switch gear would not be under as much stress um you wouldn't have as much ingress or egress so like miners that mine maybe they're not not connected to like fiber optic they're connected via like a 5g connection or 4g connection right, like if they're off the grid yeah, somewhere off grid yeah. and you know north dakota or what, right you know, so even someplace a meaningful in West Texas. reduction in the amount of data that you have to send yeah. back and forth would be would help yeah so that's i mean it's certainly uh, uh, so uh i know you're you're, you're kind of pushing me over into this direction where I've been a, a little bit um I'm not a I'm not a I wouldn't say you're critical. I'm not critical of, of V2. You I don't just, think it's as good as people say. Uh, yeah. I it's not gonna solve the problems that people think that it will, uh, yeah. but it will solve a lot of problems. And I think it's a meaningful and important upgrade. So I want to be on the record as saying that I think <laughs> yeah. Stratum V2. I am baiting Nick a little bit because yeah. that when we first talked in Miami, this is what we were arguing about. Right. I, um, I do think that Stratum V2 is a meaningful and important upgrade for the network, and I do support it and I want people to start, yeah. you know, I want it to happen. But what are um, the things that people have said that it will do that what what have they said? What, right. How so has the, it been built? So versus uh, what is the reality in it your increase, mind? So it, it has. Uh, so let's talk about some of the features that Stratum V2 has. Yeah. It has connection multiplexing, which basically means that you can do multiple. Uh, you can serve multiple miners over a single connection. You can. All, it also has binary support. It has reconnect. Uh, it has fast failover. It has all of these um, awesome features that are really good, like right. things for mining to happen. But the only thing people actually care about when it comes to Stratum V2 is what we call job negotiation or transaction selection. Which which means that right. the miner on their side are the ones that get to select which transactions go into the blocks. But that's not exactly what happens. The pool sends you a job template and says, these are the transactions that you're working on. And if for whatever reason, the transaction that the miner isn't, you know, th if there's a specific transaction that a miner wants included in the, in the block, they could put it in. They could propose to the pool that they add this. And then the pool will say, "Yep, okay. Here's a new template. You can start working on this one. Uh, that includes all you know all the transactions that you I want." See. The, but the pool still is sending it back to them to work on. Ultimately, ultimately. there's a there's a it, there's a negotiation process between the miner and the yeah. pool, and um, and so the 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 thought here is like, okay, so if um, and the reason sovereign Bitcoin maximalists want this to occur is because it takes power away from the pool, which is great. I want all of the power to be taken away from our pool. Uh, we don't want to have, like, I, we basically right. just want to be a facilitator. Well, there, there's liability, right? I mean, True. because the block uh, proposer, if we use like Ethereum language or whatever yep. this, right, the pool is selecting the transactions that go into the block. And this goes to the point you made about Marathon Digital and how then, well, they said, well, crap, maybe we don't want some of these transactions in our blocks, right? So yep. they started censoring some transactions. Yep. Well, not censoring, just not putting those ones in their blocks. I, I don't know if that counts as censorship specifically, but that's the idea is that there's an attack vector on Bitcoiners, Bitcoin transactors, which is you go to the pool, let's say you're a government or whatever, and you say, you know, we don't like Alex. Like, you're, it's illegal for you to include any of Alex's transactions in the, in the block. And, right. and I think Bitcoiners, they fast forward in their minds and they say, it's not too difficult to think of a world where there's widespread censorship enforced on Bitcoin right. through the miner, through the mining pool. Mm -hmm. 
right? So the idea is like, well, if we can move that block uh, proposal part of the life cycle out to the spokes, which is the individual miners, then that would be much more resilient and and you know resistant to that type of censorship. Yeah, that's but, the idea. That's that's how yeah, it's pitched. Exactly, right. and I, and I, th I the idea is great, but the pool's still going to reject that transaction. And if so they're then, told to, if they're told to by their government. So I think that you know it, we still pools still will have to operate within some regulatory environment, whether that's the U.S. or Russia or China or wherever they happen to be. That their pool still needs to exist, uh, and. They'll ultimately just reject that during that negotiation process. They'll, they'll just end keep saying rejecting. no to adding that transaction. They'll, they'll say no. Yeah. So if yeah. you want to, and then so then the the proposal then from the V two team that's been working on this job negotiation job negotiation protocol is that the miner can fall back to a backup pool, and I think that's a great so idea. So that's just literally to a different pool. That's just to a different pool. Yeah. yeah. So I think and that that's ultimately so diversity of pools in different jurisdictions is probably a better hedge against that type of uh, censorship than purely. SV2 transaction yeah. selection. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. really, I guess transaction selection, though, does give you more of a an overt um, indication that a pool is censoring the transaction. That might be maybe a, a benefit. Um, because up to now, you know, if, if a pool doesn't include a transaction, like, oh, maybe they weren't connected to the peer. Or, or it's not obvious why. Yeah, the mempool is very ephemeral. You know, the, the mempool is not the mempool. You have your mempool and you have your mempool. Right. And we all have shared, you know, we have a lot of shared transactions, but they're never exactly the same. Um, because of the latency in the network, you know, the one in China is different than the one in Russia, is different than mine. Um, so, if a transaction isn't included, you can't say, "Oh, I, obviously, this is why. obviously, it was right. being censored." Um, but in the case of you know V two, then you know a miner would be not basically notified like that transaction is invalid and we won't we won't it was rejected. It. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. so that's interesting, uh, and it, it it is interesting. It's and it's improvement, but it doesn't give you that self sovereign resistance that it's often pitched as having. So. Um, you if know, you want that, you need to introduce uh, like shielded pools or shielded transactions, kind of like Zcash. Some privacy which, or, um, yeah, or even a decentralized mining pool. I think there's been some yeah, proposals for that. Yeah, P2 pool does that. But uh, but again, it, unfortunately, that ju it's just not scalable. The yeah. amount of data like the amount of data that we end up harnessing at the end of a day is incredible. We're talking yeah. billions of rows, yeah. um, billions and billions of shares that we collect every single day wow. that have to be indexed. So Good you Lord. need to – So it's, I mean, you're, Right, well, that makes sense because it's all these computations, right? Mm -hmm. It's like every single – so if you imagine, you know, we have somewhere around 150 to 180,000 mining machines connected to the pool at any point in time. Um, those are submitting uh, a piece of data every three to five seconds. Uh, that number starts to balloon very, very quickly uh, into what we now effectively have as a big data problem. Like we are a big, like kind of like big a big data, data company, company kinda, basically. Yeah. So we've, you know, we built up incredibly um, robust data pipelines to Jeez. ingest all this stuff, analyze it, and then warehouse it. Uh, and so then, we're and, one of the few and also companies. use it and turn it into Bitcoin blocks, right? It's just, well, that's that's an amazing this, amount of stuff, though. That all happens in real time, right? That has right. to be done like immediately right. in real time. So you, we basically. But uh, you're saying, yeah, you're still, you're, but you're still holding it. So we take, yeah. So the stratum, you know, the stratum collects a share, immediately checks to see if it's a valid block or not, and if it is, then a whole bunch of other, uh, a whole bunch of other stuff starts to occur. Right. We, you know, broadcast it, the block and immediately submit. Well, we immediately submit it, but then we also do what we call a shotgun. So we shotgun it to a bunch of different nodes all over the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, make so sure everyone sees it make first. Sure everyone sees it. it really, really quickly. Yeah. Uh, you know, high, we, we have, you know, all of these nodes are running on like high performance servers with, you know, um, wow. um, you know, NVMe, NVMe SSDs and all that sort of stuff. But that's like table stakes for Bitcoin mining. Um, what I'm talking about is the share data. Once the share has been validated, it's not a block, it's just regular share. Um, it's just a proof of work. You can store that. Uh, and we, we, you can and we do store that as an atomic row uh, in, a, in a big, huge, Huge, huge table, so, table somewhere yeah. uh, that ends up, you know, we end up producing an archive, you know, we archive all of that stuff and then we can produce reports based on it, you know, in the future. It's crazy. Um, the amount of data, I, now that I think about it, it's just got to be insane yeah, the amount of data. It's, it's um, you know, it's 10, 10, on the order of tens of terabytes, you know, it's, it's, it's very, very large. Yeah. Wow. And it's fully indexed. That's the thing, like. Is pr producing 10 terabytes is like one thing, but having like a way to search that in real time and is quickly. Cool. Yeah. yeah, wow, that's insane. Um, so the other thing that I, I hear about, and I think you've, you've, you've sort of referenced it a little bit regarding latency, is that um, are there aren't there some efficiency gains here um, from Stratum V2 just just because it's faster? Yeah, certainly. So it, since it's a obviously since it, it, it is a binary protocol, uh, it's less data. It's you know it travels through the pipes faster um, because there's let's say the less hot you know it, it's it's much more efficient in that regard. Um, and then of course the, the, the what I mentioned the dang it 
I think we call, I've called it connection multiplexing. I think they have a different term for it. But basically, uh, the idea is that if I- Concurrent like stuff. Yeah, if I get disconnected, I can immediately reconnect. Um, Where now there's, the the protocol for reconnection uh, is not great. Um, There are some improvements that we have made, but it's not great. Basically, it's, you know, kind of hacking some things together. And not all machines support reconnect. and also, like the pool failover uh, is also very important. The way that you can fail over to a backup pool is is really good because you can keep a persistent connection open um, in V2 a lot more easily than you can in V1. Uh, where V1, you kind of have to be having these keep alives and things like that. Where uh, so it's definitely a, a big improvement to efficiency. Um, I mean, but we're talking on the you know our pool average is like 992 uh, not, sorry, 99.92% um, across the pool. So, I mean, we're talking on the order of like bi- single BIPs here. Um, you know, 0.01% is one BIP. You know, we're talking yep. you know, maybe on the order of like at the very end. So even that, I think bips. a little like is a selling point, a little underwhelming. Worth it, but not like some radical game changer. Well, to be fair, the you know the the, the top tier for Foundry's fee for the largest pools is 15 BIPs. So we're talking like when you know, and that's going to be a meaningful portion of revenue for them. And so. Certainly, so it, BIPs are very important at, mine, at the mining level, especially at large scale. Um, but it's not like we're going from 95% efficiency or 90% efficiency. We're talking it. about like razor-thin margins, though, or the, the, the very razor's edge here. Yeah. Um, Nick, before we wrap, a um, couple other quick questions. Okay. So, uh, First of all, where can people find you and learn about Luxor and stuff? Yeah, so we're you know you can just go to luxor.tech um, if you want to luxor. Definitely Tech's check out hashrateindex.com. Hashrateindex.com. Uh, if you want to learn about ordinals, you can go to ordinalhub.com. You can also find us on Twitter. Twitter is uh, at Luxor Tech Team. Yep. Uh, we've got at Ordinal Hub. We've got at Hashrate Index. Uh, you find me. I'm at hash underscore bender. Hash bender. Uh, yep. Uh, <laughs> and. Yeah, so happy to chat about any of this stuff. Um, you know, well, ordinals and a lot of mining. exciting stuff with Ordinal Hub and um, and the inscriptions. I mean, that's it's <laughs> mining has not been this interesting in a while. That was a real game changer. Yep. Um, and there's more to come. I think Luxor is, is I mean, you ripped the four mega. Um, you've got some bespoke ordinals. You bought Ordinal Hub and the team there. Um, you're going to be a player in this. Uh, you yeah. are a player. You are the mining we're, pool we're, player. Yeah, to we're be here. We're here for it. Yeah. We're here for it. Um, I mean, we never, we didn't really get it. We don't have time for it um, to get into like what Ordinal Hub is going to be. Like, it's probably not going to be a marketplace right now because I don't know what those marketplaces are going to look like. But yeah, we didn't talk um, about the marketplace question either. I mean, obviously, you have some some uh, bespoke Ordinal marketplaces have already shown up. Yep. Um, some uh, coming out of the Stacks ecosystem, which makes sense. They had an NFT. Yep. You know, like Gamma and uh, and a few others. Um, you have the you have the really cool like what Ord Swap and like some of the and the, what's the one that yeah. has the they've pioneered the use of PSBT Open Ordex yeah. Open Ordex is that really one's cool really that cool. one's really cool um, it's a Windows ninety five you also theme. have Magic Eden the largest NFT marketplaces in the Solana, Solana ecosystem adding Ordinal support and I mean, honestly it's probably the best one right now it's and we really, have to really we have to assume that like OpenSea will get here too yeah um, so that that marketplace battle for Ordinals is going to get really interesting get some. Highly open source ones like Open Ordex. You've got mm-hmm. some some established but sort of Bitcoin adjacent Stacks ecosystem yep. ones. Then you've got the the TradFi NFT marketplaces like yep. OpenSea that will have you have to assume will get involved or Blur and um, <laughs> that's gonna be wild. So so what I don't know it, what, what you're willing to share about Ordinal Hub? Yeah. So uh, so yeah, Ordinal Hub right now we basic like I've I've already said it like basically just want to be the hub for Ordinals and to go learn. Uh, three verticals: uh, explore, discover, and then market. Market meaning not marketplace, but um, so explore is like learning about all ordinals. Like what are what's available? What's been minted recently? What is the so data you know, block exploring type stuff? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Maybe maybe ether like etherscan or or uh, mempool for for ordinals, but specifically with the ordinals lens. Yep. And then of course, dis- and then we have discover, which is uh, learning more about a particular project. So you get to learn and about. So I can uh, say, oh man, I want to learn about the ordinal loops or the uh, yeah, wizards like, or whatever. W- w- when were they inscribed? How many are there? How many are there? Who owns which ones right now? How many transfers have there been? And then market. Market is going to be marketplace data. So it's going to be trying to aggregate up all of the activity that's been occurring, uh, allow you to drill in, understand, you know, okay, this is the, if I need to sell a, a rare Pepe or a, a, a Bitcoin Punk or a twelve fold or whatever. Which yeah. market has all the liquidity? Because right now we're seeing very much siloed liquidity across yep. these different markets, and so that will be the place where you can go to learn. Very interesting. Um, 
So data, uh, a data aggregator, uh, yeah. a discovery platform. Um, I mean, you go look at hash rate index. We have the playbook. Yep. Like we've done this before. It's uh, you know a lot. I, I shouldn't say it's not new, but uh, it, the the playbook is you know we're just running it back again. Uh, it's going to work great, and it already has been. Like the data team is is has been incredible. Um, huge shout out to the data, the Luxor data team, the Luxor front end team, working in a, over the weekends to get this thing out really quickly. Um, yeah, big release coming maybe maybe today. If not today, a couple days from now. Cool. So, uh, which will include all that market data. So it'll be uh, Amazing. very excited for that. It. Uh, Nick Hansen, CEO, founder of Luxor Technology. Uh, great to have you here. Yeah, appreciate it, man. This has been really good. I know we went a little longer than you usually do, but um, a lot of things to talk about. Yeah, a lot going on. Yep. Um, follow Nick and check out his stuff. Thanks right. again. Thanks, guys. That's it for this week's episode of Galaxy Brains. Thank you to our guest, Nick Hansen, CEO of Luxor Technologies, and of course, our guest, Bimnet BB from Galaxy Trading. And thank you, our listeners, for joining us every week. As always, uh, we'll be back next week, so have a great weekend. Thanks for listening to Galaxy Brains, the weekly podcast from Galaxy Research. If you enjoy the show, please like, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. To follow Galaxy Research, sign up for our weekly newsletter at gdr.email, read our content at galaxy.com research, and follow us on Twitter at glxyresearch. See you next week.